right, everybody say, Joseph. We are starting a new series on the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, and I love this story. This is a story I go back to often uh, throughout my life. There's so many connections and, and just relatability with Joseph's story. He was a man that, that had a dream at a young age that God used in an incredible way, but he also faced a whole lot of setbacks. Joseph is, his story is like a roller coaster. It really is. Um, anyone ever been to Silver Dollar City? Come on. Silver Dollar City is like Walt Disney World for the Midwesterners. It's in Branson, Missouri. Let's go, Branson. <laughs> if you haven't been to Branson, Missouri, you just need to go there. It's a couple hours away, a little drive there. But, but at Silver Dollar City, there's a ride I go on called Fire in the Hole and Thunderation and Wildfire. I love all the roller coasters. And, and these roller coasters, you start to think that you're going up. And it's like, chicka, chicka, chicka. And you're like, nice. Life is great. And then you get up. And then it's like, you go down. And that's like Joseph's story. Like, it starts off really good. It's like, I got a dream. And then his brothers want to kill him, right? And uh, we're going to learn through Joseph's roller coaster story of a life that God is sovereign. He is faithful. And when he gives you a promise, he intends to keep it. And no matter what people do against you, listen, people didn't call you, so people cannot disqualify you. When God calls someone, no one can disqualify them, even if they hate the dream. So if you have a Bible, let's go to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. And while you're turning there, I want to title this message, Here's to the Dreamers. Here's to the Dreamers. Turn to someone next to you and say, Here's to the Dreamers. Part one of the Joseph series. A dreamer is someone who sees something in their heart and moves towards it to make it a reality. Proverbs 29, 18 says, without a dream, people perish. Without a vision, people cast off restraint. Where there is no revelation, people live with no purpose. When there's no dream in your heart, you just settle for anything and everything. It's so important that we get a dream in our hearts for this season. You know, some of us in this room, we say, well, I had a dream and I fulfilled that dream, so I'm good. Uh, or maybe you're in the room and you say, Paul, you know, I had a dream, but I lost it and, and I haven't been able to regain it. And I don't even know if I have time to dream anymore. I don't even know if I have the money to dream. I can't afford to dream. I just got to settle for what I have that's right in front of me. But I would venture to say, if you were going to ask God whether or not he has a dream for you right now, I truly believe God has a dream for every single person in this room. And not just a dream that you could fulfill 20 years ago, but a dream for right now. When you look at the current events and you see what's going on in America and you see all the, the fear-filled news stories that are happening, whether it's here or in Afghanistan or in China or Russia or, you know, wh whatever's going on, this is a season for dreamers. This is a season where God wants to dream through young and old, men and women. God wants to deposit prophetic words, dreams that are going to save nations, dreams that are going to help feed people during a famine, dreams that are going to help people uh, uh, counsel and give wisdom to presidents and leaders and pharaohs. And this is an hour for the Josephs in the church to rise up. So here's to the dreamers. Genesis 37, verse 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed. Now, Jacob was the father of Joseph. I want to do a little Bible trivia with you. How many of you guys know who Jacob's dad was? Who? Isaac. Come on. My nephew Isaac. I heard his, his voice over there. In the last service, people were like, Noah? Esau? Jesus? <laughs> you know, like, Jesus is always a good answer, except that's not Jacob's uh, that's not Joseph's dad uh, or Jacob's dad. Jacob's dad was Isaac. Isaac's dad was 
Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. <laughs> I'm always going to bring that song into every series. Just brace yourself for it. Um, but, but the interesting thing is Joseph has more chapters about his life than Jacob did, than Isaac did, than Abraham did. In fact, Joseph's story is the longest story in the book of Genesis. It fills up 14 chapters, and it goes all the way to Genesis 50, the last chapter of Genesis. And what we get to see with Joseph is we, we meet him as a teenager, but we get to follow his journey all the way till his deathbed in his, in his late 100-year-old life. And we get to watch the good, the bad, and the ugly with Joseph. And, and when we first meet Joseph, we're introduced to his family. And one of the, the things I love about this verse is that we see his family was dysfunctional. How many of you guys have some dysfunctional family members? How many of y'all have them with you right now on the row with you? You're like, yeah, he's sitting next to me. <laughs> the thing I love, the thing I love about this, though, is that God does not just choose perfect families to work through, that God works through the families that are messed up. I mean, like, if you were to study Joseph's family, it is, it is a Jerry Springer episode. It is, there, I, like, there's a lot of crazy stuff. I, I did a little research on his life, and, and it's, um, it's, he's got a lot of, listen to this, he had three stepmothers, 10 stepbrothers, one brother, and a stepsister, all living in one house at the same time. His dad was married to three different women all at the same time. We're not going to get into that today. But um, we watch as these brothers fight, they argue, they have strife. And one thing we learn from the beginning is that the problems his family is facing trace back generations. When you look at behaviors in a family, you don't just see, well, this is how they are today. They're taking on behaviors that were passed on to them from their fathers, their grandfathers, and their great-grandfathers. Jealousy didn't just start with Joseph and his brothers. Jealousy started with his dad, Jacob, and Esau, Jacob's brother. And it didn't just start there. It, it traces back to Isaac and Ishmael, but not just Isaac and Ishmael. It traces back to Abraham and Lot, but not just Abraham and Lot. It traces back to Cain and Abel. Like these generational behaviors of competition and jealousy and anger and hatred and, and a murderous spirit, it goes way back. And so we're introduced to this family history that has a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of jealousy, a lot of strife, and just a lot of dysfunction. And it says this is the account of Jacob's family line. Now, Joseph, in verse 2, was a young man, 17 years old, and he was tending his, uh, the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, and his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report to them. So right off the bat, we see Joseph is a tattletale. Right, like Joseph, Joseph is not afraid to tell on his brothers and to go straight to his mom and dad. And he's like, guess what Reuben did? Guess what they did? And so he's already kind of disliked by his brothers. They're like, ah, why can't Joseph cover for us? And then it gets worse. In verse three, it says, now Jacob, who was also named Israel, I'm so glad that God can change your name. God can change your family history. He can change whatever the world named you. God has a better name for you. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now, this is kind of rough because Joseph didn't ask for this type of favoritism, and his dad kind of made him stand out in a way that, that made it even worse for his brothers to like him because now his brothers had to watch as their father was showing more love and attention and more focus specifically on Joseph because he had been born to his dad in his old age, and so uh, Joseph's dad made him a beautiful robe to wear. And when his brothers saw the robe and saw their father's love and attention for Joseph, 
they hated him even more. And they could not say a kind word to him. I thought about wearing a robe today um, because this robe had many colors. So I was going to wear a rainbow robe. But then I was like, that might send some mixed signals here in the church and online. My mom may not like that. I was going to like Elton John, just a good rainbow robe and rainbow glasses. And um, I don't have that today, but I do have a robe. I I have a special robe that we found in the closet. You guys want me to put on the robe? Come on, let's stir up the jealousy. (laughs) I can already feel the envy in the room. I'm gonna pop some tags, only got $20 in my pocket. Come on, I'm thrift shopping right here. But uh, when Joseph put on this robe, his brothers were like, oh my gosh, dad loves him more. Like, <laughs> I can't even preach in this. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> but Joseph wore that robe around and it stirred up the jealousy, it stirred up the envy, it stirred up the hatred. And, 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 and so his brothers hated him even more. I wonder whose coat is stirring up some jealousy in your life. I wonder whose coat has stirred up a comparison trap in your mind. It's not about the coat. It's about them having something that you want. The coat for some of you could just be someone else's attention. That you wish you had it. You wish you had their love. You wish you had what they gave to someone else. You wish you had it. Or someone's car. Someone's job, someone's opportunities. I wish I had their spotlight. I wish I had their position. I wish I had their title. I wish I had their coat. Jealousy is less about the person that you're jealous of. Jealousy is more about you. All of us have been in the place of Joseph and in the place of the brothers. You may not realize it, but there's people who want something that you have. At some point in your life, someone has wanted something that you have. You may not believe it, but, but it's true. All of us have been in this place. And what we see right off the bat is that jealousy stirs in the hearts of the brothers. I'm gonna take this off, this is super hot. (laughs) This is way too hot to wear. It was cool for a second, but I'm gonna leave it right there. The coat represents something that the brothers wished they had. They wanted something that that their father was giving to their brother. And and we start to see the initial signs of that murderous spirit, that hatred spirit. I want to just show you real quickly a few signs when you know you're drifting towards hatred. By the way, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor also includes your brother. Your neighbor includes your sister. Your neighbor includes the person whose life just seems to be so perfect on Instagram. And you're, you're kind of envious, you're a little jealous. So initial signs of hatred. When you begin to resent someone, resentment is an initial sign of hatred. When you just start to kind of feel this feeling in your heart like, ugh. <laughs> Secondly, when you refuse to say a kind word about someone. This is the first sign of hatred. When the brothers couldn't even say a kind word. When people are talking about this person and you're in the room and you're listening as they say, man, did you hear so-and-so? She got pregnant again. And you go, hmm, good for her good for her. (laughs) When you hear about your friends, they just got back from an amazing vacation and you haven't had one in a long time. You're like, good for them. Good for them. Keep scrolling on Instagram. Go back. (sighs) Good for them. When I can't say a kind word about someone because I'm resentful of what they get to have, what they get to do. And I've been there before. I have been in this place where someone's life just looked so much better than mine. 
and I was miserable. And they were taking up space. They were living rent-free in my brain. They were not paying the bills. And they had so much space in here. And finally, I was like, God, this is wrong. Like, this, this jealousy, this envy, this comparison trap that I have in my head, this is robbing me of the joy and the peace of what you have given me. A jealous person is a deeply discontent person. Thirdly, when you're frustrated with someone else's favor. The brothers, they were frustrated. They couldn't stand his favor. And it gets worse. Watch this. In verse 5, it says, Joseph had a dream. I love that line right there. Joseph had a dream. Billy Joe Darty had a dream. Oral Roberts had a dream. Billy Graham had a dream. Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream. Paul had a dream. Daniel had a dream. John had a dream. It's a time for you to dream. But Joseph's dream stirred up jealousy even more because his dream was about his brothers bowing down to him. And he says, hey, brothers, listen to this dream. I was out in the fields and, and, and we were all binding sheaves of grain. And my sheave rose to the top while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. How do you like that, brothers? You know, and they're like, we hate you even more. One thing we learned about Joseph is he's not perfect, right? Like Joseph, Joseph is pretty immature. He's, he's sharing his dreams at 17 through an interpretation that kind of makes it all about him. And dreams need to go through some time and some tests so that you realize, is this a dream that's supposed to be about me? Or is this a dream that's supposed to be about God? When it's a God dream, when it's a God dream, it's less about your glory and it's more about his glory. It's less about people bowing down to you and it's more about you serving the nations and helping feed the hungry. Joseph would go through seasons of tests and I truly believe that it was for his good. It was helping reshape the interpretation of the dream. The last sign of hatred is the jealousy of confidence. When someone carries a confidence and has a spotlight and that jealousy starts to stir in your heart, it leads to hatred. The brothers of Joseph had already killed him in their minds before they would try to kill him with their hands because hatred starts here. Hatred starts here. Before we move on from this, I just wanna pause for a second and just remind you, if someone has a coat that you wish you had or has some shoes that you wish you had or has a car you wish you had or a life you wish you had, let me remind you that the life God has given you is all that you need to succeed and do something great and feel happy and truly enjoy this life. I heard a true story about a farmer in South Africa. This was over 100 years ago. And um, he was plowing his field. He hated his, his field. He had about 20 acres and, and he had an old plow, old mule, lived in an old shack. And his wife and his daughter, they all just kind of barely scraped by each week. They weren't very wealthy at all. They had these 20 acres, but they weren't much. They were kind of dirty and, 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 and rocky. And one day a traveler came by his farm and said, you should travel with me up to Northern Africa. There's diamonds all over the Congo, all over Tanzania. There's diamonds up in Rwanda, in Uganda. There's diamonds in the Sudan. You should come with me to Northern Africa. Well, this farmer, he, he was just amazed by this story. And he thought, if I go up there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get rich. I'm gonna get diamonds. I'm gonna get the coat that I always wanted because it's out there. It's over there. So he kissed his wife and his daughter goodbye, left the farm, went searching for diamonds all over Northern Africa. 18 months later, he didn't find any diamonds and he dove into a raging river. Out of depression, he committed suicide because he was so uh, just overwhelmed, feeling like a failure, he didn't want to go back home. His wife and daughter lost the farm. And, a, and another man who didn't have much money, just enough to buy the 20 acres, came and got it. 
used the same old mule, the same old plow, lived in the same old shack. And while he was going through the fields and, and plowing the ground, he started picking up these black rocks right there in South Africa. True story. And he held them up and, and looked at them through the sun. When the sun would hit him, it was like a prism was trapped inside. He sat them on, on a shelf in his little shack. One day, a priest was traveling by and came to visit him and prayed for him. And the priest said, I used to be a jeweler before I was a priest. And those rocks you have on the shelf, those are some special rocks. Can I look at those for a second? The man said, yeah, there's lots of them in the backyard. The priest looked at him and he said, sir, these are diamonds in the rough. Where did you find these? And he said, there's no way those are diamonds. Those are just black rocks. He said, no, they need to be clean. They need to be cut. But these are diamonds. He said, there's acres of them in the backyard. They went in the backyard. They discovered the largest diamond find in the history of the continent of Africa. The De Beers Diamond Mines was in that man's farm all along. He left what he had in search for a coat over there when everything he needed was right beneath his feet. I wonder what's got you jealous, what's caught your eye, what's distracting you from the field that you have. If only the brothers of Joseph would have just paused for a second and realized their life was just as valuable. Even though they didn't have the coat Joseph had, they still had a valuable life. Nonetheless, God would use their jealousy and he would use their hatred for Joseph's good. And God will use other people's hurts and pains and wounds that are inflicted on you. Not that he caused it, but he will use it for your good. He will turn your scars into stars. He will turn what other people meant to harm you for your blessing. As Joseph shared his dream with his brothers, he had another dream. And the next dream stirred up even more jealousy. And it got me thinking, we need to talk about dreams for a second. We need to figure out what dreams are from God and what dreams are from us? So I want to give you real quickly six questions to ask yourself when you're looking for God's dream for your life. Number one, am I seeking God? How do I know if it's a dream from God? Well, number one, you'll know if it's a dream from God if you've been seeking God. You can't say you have a dream from God if you haven't even taken time to seek God. So am I spending time in his presence? Am I digging into his word? Number two, have I asked God for his dream for my life? Have you asked God for his dream for your life? Or are you just concerned about your own dream, right? Are you just concerned about what you're excited about? What you get, you know, what, what your flesh craves? What you wanna do? Have you asked God? Number three, what are you gifted to do? By the way, every single one of us in this room have gifts, and they're all different gifts. Some of you in the room are gifted to coach football. Some of you are gifted to teach in a school, some of you are gifted to help raise kids in the home, some of you are gifted to mentor young boys and girls, some of you are gifted to preach, some of you are gifted to sing, some of you are gifted to, uh, to run a company, to manage people, and God's gonna use your gifts in connection with the dream he gives you, and he has a dream for you. And if someone was to ask you today, what is the dream in your heart, would you have an answer? I remember when I was at Oral Roberts University and I was listening to all these you know, uh, classmates uh, talk about their dreams. We were sitting in a class together and the teacher said, you know, what's your dream? What do you wanna do when you graduate? And one girl was like, I wanna build an orphanage in Africa. Another guy was like, I'm gonna help you know, rescue kids out of sex trafficking. Someone else was talking about building a hospital. And then it got to me and I didn't have a dream yet. So I just took everybody else's dreams and I just started <laughs> repeating everyone. And they were like, you just said exactly what we all said. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do everything you guys said you were gonna do. <laughs> but, but, but 
I, I felt a conviction in my heart that I need to get a dream from God. I remember when I was a kid and I, and I watched a, a movie um, that came out from Disney called Hercules. Y'all remember Hercules? Zero to hero, just like that. And there's this moment where Hercules, come on, how many of y'all remember the Hercules cartoon? Hercules, he's walking through a field and he's by himself and he's like, I have often dreamed of a far off place where a nice warm welcome would be waiting for me, where the crowds will cheer when they see my face and a voice keeps saying, this is where I'm meant to be. I will find my way. I can go the distance. I'll be there someday. I picked way too high of a key for this song. The bottom line is, He's singing about a dream, and he says, I will go the distance to fulfill the dream in my heart. When I was watching that, I thought, God, I wanna have a dream that the rest of my life, I'm gonna go the distance. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to fulfill that dream so that one day I can stand before God in heaven, and I can hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. God has a dream for you to fulfill. He doesn't want you to just survive. He doesn't want you to just eke your way through life. He didn't put you on earth just to avoid viruses and, 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 and hope not to die. He puts you on earth for such a time as this. He has a dream for your life that's not just about you, but about your family, about your community, about helping other people. So what are you gifted to do? Number four, what makes your heart sing? You just heard me sing. What are you passionate about? What stirs you? What gets you out of bed? What gets you excited? What makes you wanna sing? Number five, what makes you cry? What makes you cry? What do you, what do you see in the world that breaks your heart? Last year, I was marching with, with a group of people. We were in uh, uh, downtown Tulsa. And as we were marching, this, this lady comes up to me and she says, Pastor, you don't know me, um, and I don't go to your church. I go to a church here in North Tulsa. And she said, um, I'm a great-granddaughter of one of the business owners from Black Wall Street that was burned down and, and, and destroyed in 1921. And she said, I've grown up in North Tulsa and I've seen so much hurt and so much pain, but I just wanna say, Victory has done such an incredible job making a great impact in North Tulsa through the Tulsa Dream Center. She said, your church has done more for North Tulsa than any other church in this current time in history. And she said, um, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but we've had some kids that have drowned. And as she starts talking, she starts crying. She says, I know these families, I'm close to them. And she said, Paul, this happens every year. Every year, kids are drowning in North Tulsa. And she said, I've been praying about it, and I was hoping that someday I was gonna meet you, because I watch you on TV. And she said, even though I don't go to your church, I watch, I watch your, your sermons. And she said, I, I told the Lord, if I get a chance to talk to him, I'm gonna tell him a dream in my heart. And I could already feel it. As she was starting to say it, I start crying. I already knew where she was going with this. She said, what if the Tulsa Dream Center built a swimming pool and, and what if the Tulsa Dreams, she said, there's, there's hardly any pools in North Tulsa. There's no like good neighborhood pools here. And she says, the ones that are here, there's no swim teachers. There's no lifeguard. She said, oftentimes the kids are left by themselves. She said, what if the Dream Center had a lifeguard and had swim teachers? And what if we could teach this generation? She said, I, I never knew how to swim. She said, I'm, I'm in my 60s. I still don't know how to swim. But what if we could change a generation? And what if we could give them the gospel and a swimming pool? And what if we could meet that practical need? As she's sharing, I go, we're gonna do it. I start texting my, my friends and start talking to the church and y'all raise the money and we are breaking ground right now. We have a swimming pool that's being built in North Tulsa because a Joseph started dreaming. A Joseph started dreaming. 
You don't have to have money to dream. You don't have to be a wealthy person to dream. You don't have to have all the time in the world to dream. You just got to have something you're passionate about. So when you watch the news, what does your heart break for? Because one girl on our staff a couple weeks ago, she called and she said, my heart is breaking for Afghanistan. I said, mine is too. She said, did you see the picture of the people that are jumping on the airplane and they can't get out of Afghanistan? And she said, it, it makes me so mad. That's a God dream. What makes you mad? What injustice seeing a foster care child go through the foster care system and no family ever takes them in. No family ever takes her in. So she, she ages out of the foster care system. Next thing you know, she's, she's, she's in a brothel. She's being trafficked here in Oklahoma. And, and we're, we're watching these things and, and who in the room is crying? Who in the room, their heart is breaking? And when your heart breaks, that's a clue. That's a hint. God's saying, this is a dream, Joseph. This is a dream, Joseph. And it's not about you. It's about other people. It's about other people. How do I know if it's a dream from God? And the last question is this, how can I use my gifts, my resources, and my passion to meet the need that is breaking my heart? Those are six questions to ask yourself in finding God's dream. Now, the, the next question I wanna answer is, who do you tell and how do you handle the dreams that God gives you? One thing we learned right off the bat is you gotta be careful who you talk to. Like Joseph shared his dream with everybody. But not everybody is a fan of your dream. Not everybody is excited about what you're excited about. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Be careful who you tell, because not everybody's going to cheer you on. People will be threatened. People will take your dream. People will pretend to be your friend. In fact, there are some dream stealers out there. I want to give you five groups of the dream stealers. Number one, the takers. They don't know what they want to do, so they're going to take your dream. That was like me in that ORU class. I was like, I'm taking all these dreams. <laughs> the takers, they're not going to help support. They're just going to steal your dream. Secondly, the fakers. These are friends who act like they're supporting you, but in reality, they're talking bad behind your back. They're talking bad, behind your, they're talking bad about your dream behind your back. They're putting you down. Number three, the breakers. These are the people who can't stand to see you move past them in life, so they try to break down your dreams, your ideas. They try to keep you on their level because you going past them is a threat to their ego. So they try to make you feel like pursuing your dream would be a waste of your time or just a dumb idea. They break it down. Number four, the haters. They're always telling you why you could never accomplish your dream. This was Joseph's brothers. Who are you, Joseph? You're not good enough, you're too young, you're not smart enough. Why would God pick you? And lastly is the distractors. They always have something better for you to do, so they distract you from working on your dream. Now we, we immediately think these all are groups of people, but in reality, these can often be our own thoughts. Because the biggest person that's gonna hinder you from fulfilling the dream that God has for you is you. You are your biggest threat towards your dream. Not somebody else, not some church, not some family member, not the brothers, it's you. And you might be here today and go, man, that's, that's kind of mean, Paul. Like, you told me my best days are right in front of me and now you're saying that I'm my own worst enemy? <laughs> the reality is, you will be the one, if you don't learn how to focus, your lack of discipline is what's gonna stop you from fulfilling your dream. Not someone giving you a chance. There's jobs available all over this city. 
People are quitting their jobs left and right. We have a spirit of laziness that is plaguing our world right now because people don't want to go to work. But if you will get in your spirit, I was born for such a time as this. And I'm not born just to make money for me. I'm born to scholarship some kids from Afghanistan through Victor Christian School. So I'm going to get a dream that's bigger than just me getting a paycheck. I'm going to get a dream in my heart to help change North Tulsa and South Tulsa. I'm going to get a dream to unite the churches in our city. I'm going to get a dream in my heart to change a nation. you got to stir your heart up to dream in a world that's full of so much lethargic complacency. I want the keys to come up. God will use the haters in your life to give you thick skin. He'll make you like a rhino hide, but give you a heart of a dove. He'll help you to hold on to your dream no matter what people say, but your dreams must be tested. And this is where we see Joseph's story really start to take off, is that his dream gets tested. Your dream must be tested by the word of God, your dream must be tested by prayer. Your dream must be tested by wise counsel. Your dream must be tested by time. Your dream must be tested by disappointment and setbacks. You might say, Paul, why do I have to go through disappointment? I, I don't know if you're like me, but I like A and I like Z. I'm not a huge fan of LMNOP. I, I don't like being stuck in the middle. I don't like taking a step forward and then feeling like I gotta take three steps back. I just wanna keep moving forward. But life happens, right? And for Joseph, he's not the one that put himself back, it was his brothers, his family. We see that Joseph, he goes to serve his brothers one day, this is Genesis 37. As he was walking out to the field to go and help them, his dad had sent Joseph to go and serve his brothers. When they saw Joseph in verse 23, it says they stripped him of his coat. This is what the haters will do. They will strip you of the thing that gave you confidence. They'll try to strip your identity, try to strip your confidence, try to pull apart your sense of boldness, your courage. They threw him into a pit. They said, let's kill this dreamer. Here comes the dreamer, they said. His own brothers didn't want to see him succeed. But then one of the brothers said, what will we gain if we kill our brother? Why don't we sell him for 20 shekels to the Ishmaelites as they're traveling through our country? There was a group, a caravan of, of, of people that were traveling through Canaan. And so his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites. And Joseph was taken to Egypt. Here he is, he's being set back. Dreams must be tested through disappointments and setbacks. Dreams must be tested through adversity. Big destinies require big character, and character comes from enduring adversity. You don't grow character when you're on the mountaintop. You grow character when you're in the pit. You grow character when you're going through the process of delays and pressure and disappointment and rejection and things not going your way. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 says, write the vision down. Make it plain so that he who reads it may run with it. So when you get a dream, you write it down. Paul, I've got this dream. And we're gonna do amazing things. I, I remember the night that my father passed away and I was standing by his bedside and I was crying and I was saying, Lord, please bring him back to life. Please bring him back to life. And I heard God say, Paul, your dad ran his race. It's time for you to run yours. And the Lord said, serve your mom and serve the church and get ready because you're gonna pastor this church. At the time I was 24 and I had never thought of pastoring victory. 
And I thought, no, it's, it's going to be my mom. It's going to be my brother. It's going to be my sisters. It's going to be maybe John Bevere, Larry Stockstill. It's going to be some friend of my dad's that pastors. But I heard the Lord say, Paul, this is the vision I've given you. One day you will pastor this church and you need to get ready. And I didn't know what to do with it. I shared it with Ashley and she said, let's, let's keep that between us because we know what happened to Joseph. We don't want you to get sold to Egypt. And so we did. We just kept it to us. And, uh, and a year went by and I remember just coming into this auditorium, just crying for our church. And our church was doing good, but I, I, I just remember just having tears as God was breaking my heart with a vision for victory. And, 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 and to serve my mom, just watching my mom just be a champion hero leader, uh, moving forward as a widow without her husband and, and pastoring and leading and, and leading even through the pain and rising up and getting up to speak. And, um, and I just remembered those feelings of just, Lord, yeah, give Pastor Sharon a big hand. She's here today. Come on, Sharon Darty. She helped us get through five years after my father passed and really helped move the church forward with a lot of great, great vision. And I held on to that vision. I remember she sat down with me and she said, Paul, your dad never said this to you, but he shared it with just one or two people that you're supposed to one day be the pastor of victory. And when she said that, all of a sudden the vision came back. And I, I, we, we talked about this. This was over a year from when I had first felt that vision the night he passed. Five years later, it happened in 2014. But one thing I realized, if you have to force or manipulate your dream to come to pass, it's not a God dream. If you've got to force it, or it may be a God dream, but it's not God's timing. If I've got to manipulate something to happen, then I'm trying to make a dream happen in my own strength. And when I do that, I start birthing Ishmael's. I start doing things that, that are outside of God's timing, God's way, God's will. And God says, if you'll just trust the process, even though it's slow, we're a microwave generation serving a crockpot God. We, we want God to do things microwave. We just want it fast. 30 seconds, I want the popcorn ready now. I need it now. And God says, this is gonna take some time. And it's going to take some adversity. But it's going to forge your faith through the fire. It's going to prepare your character. This pit is just a pit stop. But this pit has a purpose. This pit you find yourself in, Joseph, there's a, there's a reason you're in this season. There's a reason you're going through this pain. It's because God is preparing your character for the palace. He's reshaping your interpretation of the dream. You interpreted the dream as if your brothers are all here to bow before you. But Joseph, the real interpretation is you are going to serve your brothers in a famine. And because you're 17, you don't see it yet. But one day, we're going to watch Joseph through this series that a dream that came at 17 would not come to pass for 15 plus years. For 15 years, he's, he's holding on to a dream and God begins to reshape it, reform it, help him to reinterpret it. One thing I love is that, that Joseph gains some people along the way that are for him. And I want to remind you today with Victory Groups launching that God has a dream team for your dream. And the dream team is made up of encouragers, 
prayer partners, mentors, and supporters. I want to give it up for the encouragers in the room, those who just encourage you to pursue the dream that God's given you. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for these encouragers on the front row, my own brother, my own brother-in-law, my, my wife, people on the, on the staff, people in the church who said, Paul, go for it. We're with you. The encouragers, the prayer partners, the people who are committed to praying for you in the dream that God has put in your heart, the mentors, people in this church that have 20 plus years on me, 40 plus years, and they say, Paul, let me help you with this. Let me give you some wisdom on this pool idea. Let me give you some wisdom on this next generation building. Let me give you some wisdom as we're helping rescue in Afghanistan. We all need mentors. We need people who can see further than us, people who've gone through some things that aren't afraid to challenge, that aren't afraid to give you some thoughts, some counsel, and then the supporters, those who are willing to stay with you when the going gets tough. Those who will hold your arms up in battle. The people who will contribute financially to say, I want to see this dream come to pass. I want to help with the resources. Your dream needs a team. I want to encourage you to get in a group this year. In fact, if there's any victory group leaders or discipleship track mentors in the house today, would you stand up? I want to honor all of our group leaders, all of our discipleship track for men and women, uh, uh, mentors and leaders. And there are many people in all the services that have taken on the challenge to open up their home, that meet here in the church. Listen, church is better when you have a team, when you've got some relationships, when you open up your life to say, I want to go through this discipleship track. I want to meet with some people outside of church. I want to take some people to lunch. I want to invite them on the journey of my dream. As we look back on Joseph's life, I want to go back to the final part of the story as we end today. It says that the brothers made up a story after they sold him as a slave to Egypt. They killed a goat and they took the blood of the goat and they rubbed it on the coat and they gave it to their father, Jacob, and they said, your son, Joseph, is dead. He's been attacked by wild animals. Jacob tore his own robe and wept. And he said, I will mourn until I die. Jacob had accepted the death of his son, the death of a dream. Jacob had accepted a, a, a spirit of defeat, a spirit of depression and his father was weeping. But I love the last verse of chapter 37. In verse 36, it says, meanwhile. I almost titled this message, meanwhile. Meanwhile, because when you're having your pity party, God always has a meanwhile. God always has something else happening on the other side of your pain. You might have just gone through a breakup, but God has someone else. You might have just had a door that was slammed in your face, but God says, meanwhile. Little did she know, little did he know, little did Jacob know that the son he was mourning for was still alive. Simba was going to come back to Pride Rock. Marcus Aurelius was not dead after all, and he would meet in the arena as the gladiator. I'm a movie guy. But I love the movies where, where you think the character's dead, right? But then he makes his way back. And, and this is the story of Joseph. The father is mourning, but meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph in Egypt. In Joseph's mind, he had just taken 10 steps backwards, maybe 100 steps backwards. But sometimes you have to die in order to live. Sometimes your dream has to die in order for you to find the God dream that's supposed to come alive in your heart. Sometimes you have to go through the pit of adversity. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who go through troubles of many kinds. For these troubles, 
They're forming your character, and your character gives you hope, and your hope produces perseverance, and you're getting a steadfast spirit, and you're getting a stamina that only comes when you learn how to run with the vision. Here's what I love in Habakkuk 2, and I'm almost done, but I need some help. Henshaw, will you come up here real quick? And uh, Henshaw and I, we were both in the race for victory this last weekend. Habakkuk says, when you read the vision, run with it. I want you to run, but don't run forward. Just run in place. All right? But the next verse says, and wait for it. <laughs> and while you wait for it, don't lose hope because while you're waiting, the vision will come to pass. So run and wait. That's, that's just, it doesn't make sense. Run and wait. But we have a lot of people who are waiting, but they're not running. They're waiting in a spirit of laziness. They're waiting with a sense of defeat and discouragement. But what God wants you to do is run while you wait. What God was going to teach Joseph is even though your dream hasn't come to pass, I want you to learn how to be a leader in Potiphar's house. I want you to learn how to run while you're waiting for a dream to come to pass. Even though you may not be pastor in a church, you can pastor a small group. Even though you may not be the missionary overseas, you can be a missionary in North Tulsa, in South Tulsa, in West Tulsa, in East Tulsa. Even though you may not be married yet, you could start running right now in this single season and preparing as a wife, as a husband. Even though you may not have kids yet, you could start running and serve in the single parent ministry as a mentor for someone else's kid. Even though you may not be in the vision yet, run while you wait. God was teaching Joseph how to run while he was waiting for a vision to come to pass. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> come on, you just got the aerobic points you needed. Would you stand your feet all over this place? Joseph thought he had moved backwards. But I love that it says, meanwhile, Joseph moved to Egypt as a servant to Potiphar who happened to be, who just so happened to be, little did he know, little did she know, she was right down the hallway. He was right down the hallway from Pharaoh's palace. Little did Joseph know that, that this setback was a setup for a comeback. Little did you know that your rejection and your disappointment placed you right where God wanted you. What if this season that's painful for you right now is actually the preparation for the palace? What if God has you right outside of Pharaoh's house? And maybe you're waiting for something to come to pass. Maybe you're here today and you say, Paul, I need a dream. I don't have a dream. Paul, I used to have a dream, but I lost it. Or maybe you're here today and you say, I fulfilled a dream, but I haven't even, haven't dreamed since then. I haven't had any goals or vision. I've lacked motivation. It's time to start dreaming again. It's time to start dreaming again, not for your sake, but for America's sake. America needs Josephs right now. America needs some Josephs. Josephs that will lean into God's will and say, God, what's your dream for our nation? Maybe your heart breaks for politics. Good, we need some solid Christian men and women to get involved in politics right now. Maybe your heart breaks for the entertainment industry. Good. We need some solid Christian men and women who can make movies and shows that invade the dark world of Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus, and we can start sneaking in a better agenda that's gonna help shape a future generation with morals and values and character that comes from the church. The church should be full of the most dreamers in the world that are pursuing the God dream for their heart. This is an hour for the church to dream like Joseph. And to say, what does God want to do right now in our nation and in the world? Who needs God's help? 
It's everywhere. Afghanistan's crying out. America's crying out. China's crying out. Russia's crying out. Peru is crying out. There's tyranny everywhere. There's injustice everywhere. All it takes is one Joseph to wake up and say, God, what do you want to do through me right now? How do you want to use my resources, my gifts, my talents, my life in this hour? I want us just to close our eyes all over this place. I feel like I'm supposed to pray for a couple groups of people. I feel like there's one group here. And it's, it's those who already have a dream, but you're in a season of, of kind of just a, a holding pattern. And God's saying, run while you wait. You have a dream, but you haven't seen the dream come to pass yet. And you're doing everything you know to do to try to get that dream to come to pass. And God's saying, don't lose hope. Don't lose strength. Perseverance is being formed in you right now. This dream will come to pass, but you must run while you wait. You must stay alert, stay awake, stay engaged in the race while you're waiting for the dream to come to pass. If that's you today, if I'm talking to those that have a dream, but it hasn't come to pass, and you just need strength and perseverance to keep on going, raise your hand if that's you today. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's a lot of people here today. Secondly, there's a group here, and you say, Paul, I don't have a dream. I want to get a God dream in my heart. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, or 16 years old, and you say, I need a God dream. I want you to raise your hand. I'm praying for those who just need a dream. You're saying, I want a dream. I don't have one right now, but I want God to give me a dream that would help other people. Maybe it's for your family. Maybe it's for this city. Maybe it's for another person that you're supposed to scholarship to go to, to ORU or Victory, but, but God's, God's got a dream for you. If you don't have a dream, but you want a dream, raise your hand. I'm praying for those that say, I want a God dream. Lastly, I wanna pray for those that are here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. There's some things in my life I need to get, I need to get God's forgiveness on. I need to repent. I need to get my life back in a place of surrender to the Lord. If that's you and you're saying, man, I, I need Jesus to be Lord of my life. I need to get right with God. I want you to raise your hand. Today is your day for salvation. Today's your day for a second chance. Today's your day for forgiveness. I'm seeing hands going up across this room. I know there's people that are raising their hand online. If you raise your hand for any of those, would you leave your seat? Come and join me at this altar. We're going to cheer on today. Brave men, brave women who are coming down to this altar saying, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I'm inviting your will, your way, your dream, your grace, your strength into my life. As you come down, we're just gonna worship the Lord. And as we sing this song, I want you to just lift your hands up across this room and just say this to the Lord. I'm all yours, God. Have it all. Lord, have it all. Have it all, Lord.
say, my goodness is still running after you. Even on your worst day, he's still running after you. Even when you fail, he's still running after you. Even if you're the prodigal son, he's still running after you. Even if people reject you, he's still running after you. When you're lonely and you're tired, he's still running after you. When you're hurting and you're broken, he's still running after you. When it doesn't make sense, he's still running after you. Cause he knows better. His way is better, and he's still running after you. So I surrender, Lord. I lay my life before you. All my dreams and my plans and my goals, I'm laying down. Lord, have your way in me, God. Have your way in me. God says, I gave you a promise, and I'm going to keep it. I gave you a dream, and I'm going to see it through. If it takes 20 years, I'm going to see it through. God says, don't lose hope. Though it tarries, though it takes long, God says, it will come to pass. The dream that he's put in your heart, the vision, the plan, the will, God says, I won't waste any pain that you go through. All the trouble, all the trials, all the pain, God says, I'm going to use it for your purpose, for your glory. It's going to turn out for your good. What they meant to harm you, God's going to use for your good. God was shaping Joseph's interpretation even of the pain that, that, was, he, was, that he was walking through from his own brother's. While he was in the pit, he was learning how to forgive before he ever got to the palace. 
God says, I'm going to teach you how to forgive before you even have to. I'm going to teach you how to release it, how to walk in mercy. I'm going to teach you how to live with great grace. Lord, I just pray right now for every person in the room who's endured trials, troubles, pain, hurts, wounds from brothers, from family members, from friends, God, from churches, from leaders. I pray, Lord, that today you're pulling out that, that sting of hatred. You're pulling out that sting, God, of resentment. Lord, you're removing that spirit of jealousy, that comparison trap that people have been stuck in. God, I pray, Lord, you're helping people to see the acres of diamonds that are right beneath their feet. Lord, I pray today that you're depositing dreams in the hearts of men and women, those who've been without a dream for a long time. I pray that, God, during this series, they would start dreaming again. They would start stirring up. They'd open that journal they haven't opened in a long time, and they would write down, Dear God, I receive the dream that you have for me. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them in the nights and in the mornings. And God, you would remind them even this week when they go to work, God, when they're working in Potiphar's house, when they're working in a season that doesn't make sense, when they're working in circumstances that, that don't make sense, God, that you would remind them everything has a purpose. And God, you're using it for their good. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're doing something good in their life, even when they can't see it. Meanwhile, God, I thank you, Lord, that there's a meanwhile happening. And God, that you would change, Lord, the depression, the, the heaviness, God, the, the coat of heaviness, Lord, that you would give them, Lord, just a, a spirit of laughter and joy. God, that you would give them beauty for ashes. Lord, uh, God, joy for their mourning. In Jesus' name, God, I thank you that though troubles may last for a night, God, though, though pain may last for the night, his joy comes in the morning. In Jesus' name, just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Thank you for your mercy, your goodness, your grace. I receive it. I repent, and I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I want your dream for my life your timing, so I choose to trust you. I put my trust in you, Lord. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, Victory. God loves you.